1 through 11. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you, you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you, do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. That's something you don't see every day. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have seen that your history with man has been recorded for us. Thank you for the men that you worked through, the prophets of the Old Testament times, who spoke your truth to your people. Father, uh, as we look at Elisha, one of your servants, I pray that not only would we learn about this man, about his ministry, but Father, could you show us an example that we could take from this man's life and his ministry. Father, add to our Bible knowledge, but also, Lord, uh, speak to us in some way that can help us. That would be our prayer. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. News alert. A wealthy, bald-headed farmer leaves Dancing Meadow to be a member of the Prophets Club and soon becomes known as the Wonder Worker. Every one of those statements, every one of those phrases in that news alert is true. And it refers to the prophet Elisha, whom we're going to talk about today. Uh, Elisha is the prophet who followed Elijah. We talked about Elijah a couple weeks ago, great prophet. Elisha followed him. 
Elisha's ministry was in the northern kingdom of Israel, around the capital city of Samaria, mostly. He ministered uh, to God's people during the reign of four different kings of the northern tribe of Israel. And he uh, probably ministered around 50 years. So uh, I'm getting kind of close to that. But uh, he, he ministered 50 years as a prophet of God. So we're going to look at him today. You'll notice on your sheet, we're going to look at his call. We're going to see how Elisha was called to his ministry as prophet. We're going to see from what Jesse read how the baton was passed from the prophet Elijah to Elisha. We'll look at some details there in what was read for us. Then we're going to look at the miracles that God did through Elisha. There were many miracles that God did through the prophet Elisha. Maybe more than through any other of his prophets. And then we're going to pretend that Elisha is here with us today. And we're going to guess what his testimony might be like to us. What he might say to us based on what he learned. So that's kind of where we're going. So if you would turn with me. Uh, to 1 Kings, we'll start there and then we'll come back to what Jesse read. But 1 Kings chapter 19. This would be the call of Elisha. It comes right after where we ended our study on Elijah, that great prophet. If you recall, Elijah, after a great victory, had run away from Jezebel. She was out to get him. And uh, he had run to a cave way down south at Mount Sinai. And uh, you recall the question that God asked Elijah a couple times. He wanted to quit. But God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here in this cave? Go back. I have a ministry for you. And one of the ministries that he had for Elijah was to call his successor, Elisha. And you see that in First uh, Kings 19, uh, Verse 16, God said to Elijah, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. So that was one of the things Elijah needed to do. He needed to get out of his cave, go back up north, find Elisha, and give him the call to ministry as a prophet to be the successor to Elijah. So here's how the call took place. Elijah left the cave, went north, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen, and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? In other words, I'm not forcing you. Go ahead. So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat 
and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. So that's the call of Elisha the prophet. Now in that, we find out some things about Elisha. First of all, he was the son of Shaphat, whom we know nothing about, but everyone is introduced in the Old Testament by who their father is. We're told that Elisha was from a place called Abel Mehola. That name means dancing meadow. So that's where we get that phrase in the news alert. The name means dancing meadow. This place where Elisha grew up and lived was in the northern um, Jordan Valley. I, I don't know if you can picture a map of Israel, but just south of the Sea of Galilee, west side of the Jordan River, between the Jordan River and a mountain range. Right in a valley there is where Elisha lived. And it was called, the meaning of the name, um, Dancing Meadow. It was a fertile land. So that's probably why it was called Dancing Meadow. The meadows were like they were dancing. They were fertile, great, great crops. And Elisha was part of a farming family. We know that because when Elijah found him, he was out plowing in the fields. And uh, we guess that Elisha probably came from a rather wealthy farm family because we're told there were 12 yoke of oxen. That would be like a farmer having 12 John Deere tractors today, probably doing well to have 12 yoke of oxen. And so he probably came from this well-to-do farming family in this lush northern Jordan Valley. And we're told that Elijah comes, Elisha is running one of the yoke of oxen, plowing. Elijah comes up to him and places his cloak Elijah's cloak over the shoulders of Elisha. Apparently, that was a sign of this call. It seems like Elisha knew that, what it meant. It's very possible that Elisha knew Elijah to some degree. So that when Elijah shows up, puts his cloak over Elisha, Elisha knows he's being called to follow Elijah. He asks if he could go back and say goodbye to his parents. Elijah says, sure, do that. I'm not forcing you. So he goes back and he does an interesting thing. He kills the two oxen that he has been leading. He takes the, the plow that he was using, cuts that up and uses it for firewood. And he has a barbecue for his family and the people. And then he leaves and follows Elijah. He becomes Elijah's attendant. Why does Elisha go through that in his call? I'm going to suggest something. He is, by following Elijah and this call to be a prophet, he is leaving 
his old life. And by doing what he did, he is visibly cutting that off. By killing the two oxen, by burning up the plow, he is saying goodbye to that part of his life, to that old life. And he is now going to follow Elijah and be Elijah's assistant and learn from Elijah. And Elijah will mentor him as he prepares to be the next great prophet. So that's his call. Let's go to 2 Kings, the passage that Jesse read. 2 Kings. Let's see how this handoff, this passing on of the baton of being a prophet, took place between Elijah and Elisha. They've been traveling together for a while now. Elisha is learning from Elijah. He's being mentored by Elijah. By the way, there's an interesting thing here. I don't know if you noticed it, but all through this section about Elisha, you're going to see this phrase, the community of prophets or the group of prophets. Or if you have an old version, the school of prophets. I'm not way off base when I call this series the Prophets Club. There was a prophets club. There was a community of prophets in many towns. And we see that in this section. So, Elijah and Elisha are going along, chapter 2 of 2 Kings. And uh, Elijah says in verse 2 to Elisha, stay here. God is sending me to Bethel. But Elisha says, I'm not going to leave you, Elijah. I'm committed to you. I'm going along. So they went to Bethel. The company of the prophets, the prophets club at Bethel, came out to Elisha and said, do you realize the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Elisha says, yeah, I know that's, that's going to happen, but let's not talk about it. Verse 4, Elijah says, stay here, Elisha. The Lord wants me to go to Jericho now. But Elisha says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm committed to you. And he goes with him. In Jericho, there's a company of prophets. They go to Elijah and say, do you know the Lord's going to take Elijah from you today? Elisha says, yeah, I know. Let's not talk about it. I mean, this is going to be hard for Elisha. His mentor is going to go, going to leap. Verse 6, Elijah tells him, stay here. God's now sending me over to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And Elisha again said, I'm not going to leave you, Elijah. I'm committed to you. I'm sticking with you. And again, 50 men of the company of the prophets came along to watch what was going to happen. They stopped at the Jordan. Verse 8, notice what takes place. Elijah takes his cloak. He rolls it up. And he strikes the water in the Jordan. And the water divides. And the two cross the Jordan on dry ground. Sound familiar? Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, he asked Elisha a very interesting question. He says, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? 
Elisha, what can I do for you before I go? And look at Elisha's answer. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, he could ask for a lot of things, but that's what he asked for. He was so committed to Elijah. He knew Elijah so well. He had seen so much in Elijah's life, in Elijah's ministry. He says, what I'd like you to give me is a double portion of the spirit you have. And notice Elijah's response in verse 10. You've asked a difficult thing. This is a tough one, Elisha. Yet, if you see me, you may want to underline that. If you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. You'll get what you ask for. Otherwise, if you don't see me when I'm taken away, you won't get what you ask for. Verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Underline the next words. Elisha what? Saw this. What does that mean? He's going to get his wish. A double portion of Elijah's spirit. Because he saw it happen. It wasn't invisible to Elisha. He saw the chariot of fire. He saw Elijah leave in the whirlwind. Verse 12, Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. See? He sees what's happening. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. Why did Elisha do that? He's mourning. His mentor's gone. Elijah has left. He's grieving. Then, verse 13, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. So Elijah went up without his cloak. It's laying there on the ground. Elisha picked it up. He went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord The God of Elijah, he asked. Then he struck the water. It divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Elijah takes that cloak. Elisha takes the cloak of Elijah, folds it up. He hits the water. Where's that happened before? That's exactly what Elijah did when they crossed the first time. He hits the water and the Jordan parts. Exactly what happened When Elijah did it. And when he's doing that, he's asking the question, where is the God of Elijah? Well, what's the answer he gets? He's with you, Elijah. Here's proof. He's with you. He's working through you. And if that wasn't enough affirmation, look at verse 15. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching all of this, 
said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. The affirmation of 50 in the prophets club, 50 prophets in the company of prophets witnessed this and they affirmed the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. The God of Elijah is with Elisha. And he begins his ministry. He succeeds Elijah. And when you think about Elisha's ministry, as I said before, you think of miracle upon miracle. Uh, some commentators uh, have called him the wonder worker. God used Elisha in so many supernatural things. At Elisha's word, so many things happen that don't happen naturally. It's interesting. Some people have said that if you look at Scripture, the record of Elisha, and then you compare it to the record of Elijah, and you keep track of the, the wonders, the supernatural, the miracles that took place at the hands of Elijah, and then you jot down the ones that took place at the hands of Elisha, you find that the number of recorded miracles involving Elisha are exactly twice the amount of recorded miracles attributed to Elijah. Now, if that's true, you remember what Elisha asked? Give me a double portion of your spirit. At least in what's revealed, recorded, twice as many miracles done by Elisha as Elijah. Maybe that's part of the answer. Who knows? But it's an interesting observation. Speaking of those miracles, on your sheet, you have 15 mentioned. We're not going to look at them all. You can read them. The texts are there. But these are some of the things God did through the prophet Elisha. Many, many miracles. Uh, one of his first miracles was that he found out that in the town the well had bad water. It was poisonous. He hears about that need. And he uh, speaks for the Lord. And the water is cleaned. It becomes pure for the people to drink in that city. Um, the next one that's mentioned, we've got to look at because it verifies something up in the news alert. In uh, chapter 2, verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head, so we know he was bald headed. All right? So that's accurate in the news alert. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. One of Elisha's first wonders as he calls upon two bears to take care of those youth who were teasing him for being bald-headed. All right. Um, you go on, and there's a miracle involving water again. Um, the armies of Israel and Judah are uh, headed for a battle against another country, and they end up in a desert where there's no water. And uh, they get Elisha to help them, and uh, he uh, speaks for the Lord. And water appears everywhere without rain. It just appears. And the armies are able to drink and feed their horses and, and uh, that type of thing. Uh, 
in chapter 3, 21 to 27, Elisha is involved in um, Israel having a, a miraculous victory over Moab. In chapter 4, the first part, uh, one of the prophets in the company of prophets dies. And uh, Elisha finds out that his widow with two boys uh, is left with a, a huge debt, can't pay it. And if she can't pay it, her boys will be taken as slaves. Elisha finds out. And so he says, uh, collect all kinds of oil containers in your neighborhood. Bring them. And take what little oil you have and start filling containers. And so she filled container after container after container from this little container that she had of oil. And then when they run out of containers, Elisha says, go sell the oil containers. Go sell the oil. She does, and she gets enough money to pay off the debt. It was a miracle that Elisha was involved in. Elisha stayed with a couple, Shunammite couple, and uh, he had a room on the roof, it says. And he found out that this woman couldn't have children. And uh, at the word of Elisha, God opens her womb. And she's able to have a son. But then shortly after that, as the son grows up, he dies. But Elisha finds out about this. He goes to that home and God uses Elisha to raise the boy from the dead. Another miracle. In chapter 4, verses 38 to 41. Interesting. It's about uh, the prophets club, the company of prophets. Uh, deciding to uh, eat together and, and cook. And they weren't as good cooks as our men, I guess. They, they put together a stew, and one of the prophets went out and picked some poisonous gourds and uh, put it in the stew. And when it was tasted, they realized what had happened. They said, we can't, we can't eat this stew. It's poisonous. And God uses Elisha to change the stew to something they can eat. And to feed them. Soon after that, God uses Elisha to multiply a little bit of bread to feed a lot of people. Another miracle. Does that sound familiar? Then if you would turn to chapter 5, I think we'll look a little bit more at this miracle. 2 Kings 5. It introduces us to a foreign soldier a commander for the king of Aram, or Syria. Chapter 5, verse 1 says that Naaman was a great man, but he had leprosy, terrible disease. And um, in wars against Israel, Naaman had captured an Israelite girl, and she had become his slave. And she is aware of this prophet in Israel named Elisha. And says to her master, if you would just go to him, I think he can heal you. You can be healed. And so Naaman, through some uh, <clears throat> happenings, goes to Elisha. At least he gets to the door. Elisha doesn't come to the door. He talks to this commander, Naaman, through his servant. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, 
and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned and went off in a rage. He was too proud of a man to do this silly thing that the prophet asked him to do and couldn't even tell him personally. He thought there would be some great, amazing happening to heal him. People still seek that today, by the way. Um, Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and they said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down. He listened to his servants. He went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, to Elisha. And he stood before him that time and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now I know that Israel's God is the only God. Now I know that Elisha's God is the only God. And he said, please accept a gift from me. Elisha said, I will not accept a gift. It's gratis. No need to gift me for this. So God used him to heal a foreign commander's leprosy. The next miracle takes place with uh, Elisha's servant because Elisha's servant finds out that Elisha was unwilling to receive reward. And he's thinking, hmm, I'd like some of that reward. So when Naaman leaves, the servant rushes after him and stops him and basically says, hey, hey, you need to know my master has changed his mind. He'll accept your reward and he'll just give it to somebody. And Naaman says, okay, I wanted to give it anyway. So he gives Elisha's servant all this reward. And Elisha's servant goes and hides it in his house for himself. Well, Elisha is a prophet of God. He knows what's going on. God reveals it to him. And he confronts his servant. And he just speaks word and his servant becomes leprous. Another miracle at the hands of Elisha. And we go on. Uh, There's a floating axe head story where the prophets, the company of prophets decide they're going to build a building where they can gather. And uh, they're doing it by the river. And they're using axes with with metal uh, iron heads on them to cut trees down to build this building for the community of of prophets. And... uh, the head falls off one of the axes, iron, falls into the river. Guess where it goes? To the bottom. And the guy says, Elisha, what are we going to do? I lost the, the iron head to this axe. And then he adds, and it's an axe I borrowed. You ever been in that predicament? You know, something breaks that you borrow or you lose something you borrow. Well, that was the case here. So we're told Elisha picks up a stick, he throws it in the water, and up pops this iron axe head and they're able to grab it another 
wonder at the hands of Elisha. The next miracle is in chapter 6. Let's take a look at that. Chapter 6, starting in verse 8. The king of Aram, Syria, north of Israel, has been trying to do war with Israel, trying to conquer Israel. And he's having some problems because to him it seems like he's got a mole in his army. That every time they have a plan to go against Israel, it doesn't work. It's like somebody knows where they're coming, what they're going to do. They know their plan. And so first he, he says, where's the mole in my army? And he says, there's nobody in your army that's betraying you. There's this prophet named Elisha in Israel. And his God is able to tell him what you're doing before you even decide what to do. He's the one. And so the king of Aram decides he's going to get Elisha. And so he brings his army, chariots, horses. They surround where Elisha is. And Elisha is in the house with, with his servant. And his servant looks out the door and says, Elisha, we're in trouble. We're goners. The army of Aram is surrounding us. Chariots, horses, soldiers. Let's look at uh, verse 15 of chapter 6. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Look at what he says to his servant. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You have to imagine what the servant is thinking at this point. What is Elisha talking about we're surrounded by this army and he says those with us are greater and more than the enemy verse 17 elisha prayed O lord open his eyes so he may see and then the lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha could see. He knew what his servant didn't know. But he asked God to open his eyes and see that surrounding this army of Aram was a bigger army. Chariots of fire. And it goes on to talk about another miracle that ended up with this army of Aram leaving, being captured. Another miracle took place for that to happen. That was Elisha's ministry all those years. Miracle after miracle, God using him in so many different ways. No wonder he was called the wonder worker as a prophet. Well, then in chapter 6 into chapter 7, uh, Samaria, the capital of Israel, is uh, surrounded. There's a siege. Uh, the people are starving, and God uses Elisha again to miraculously uh, help Israel and, and gain the victory over uh, the army that was laying siege. One more miracle at the hands 
of Elisha. His last one, chapter 13. 2 Kings 13. Verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. So eventually Elisha comes down with some kind of illness from which he will die. His death is mentioned in verse 20. Also his last miracle. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up to his feet. Elisha's last miracle after he was dead. God just used his bones. That was the life and ministry of Elisha. Miracle after miracle, wonder after wonder, supernatural things just at his word as he called upon the Lord. That was Elisha's ministry. So, great prophet. If you sum it up, you have Elisha called by God, leaving his family, his work to follow Elijah and travel with him, to be taught and mentored by Elijah. He then saw his mentor leave with his own eyes into heaven. Received double portion of his mentor's spirit and began his ministry. And he was able to do even more, greater things than Elijah. All along the way, he was part of the Prophets Club. He had a community called the Community of Prophets that he was a part of. Other men, other prophets that he was a companion with. Does that sound familiar at all to you? Does that sound like anything we read in the Gospels? Just think of somebody like Peter, John, James, living their life, their career, with their families. And along comes a man named Jesus and calls them. And they leave their families and their careers to follow Jesus for three years. They travel with him. They are taught by him. They're mentored by him. They have a little community of disciples, 12 of them. They got to see their master leave to heaven with their own eyes. And if you read the book of Acts, just like their master said to them earlier, they did greater things than he did. 
because he sent his spirit into them. Isn't that interesting? Now, whether that's meant to be an observation or a parallel, I don't know, but it's really interesting. What if Elisha was here? What if he was our guest speaker today? And what if he were to get up here and give his testimony and share about his life and share about his years of ministry? What would he say to us as he took us through his testimony? I'm going to guess. He would say things maybe like this. When you are called by God, go. When God calls you to do something, do it. When God prompts you, follow that prompting. Maybe he would say, learn. Find someone that you can learn from. Find someone who has lived the life longer than you. Find someone who has ministered longer than you and learn from that person. Find a place. Find a community. Be part of a community. Don't be on your own. He might say, always be available to help anyone. Even though they were mostly miraculous things, if you follow Elisha's story and all the people he helped, if you keep track, they were all kinds of people. Widows, wealthy people, foreigners from other countries who typically were his enemies. If you go through his life, all the people he helped, it didn't seem like it mattered who they were. If they had a need, he helped them. Perhaps he would say to us today, if there's someone in need, no matter who it is, help them. He may say to us, let people know that there is no other God. That's what Naaman learned. Naaman declared after being around Elisha. That's what everybody learned if they had been around Elisha. There is a God and there is no other God than the God of Elisha. He might say to us, make sure people around you know that. Make sure your life and your speech points to that one and only God. There are no other. And then finally he might end by saying, you may not be a prophet. You may not do miracles. But always have faith that with your God, nothing is impossible. He would stand here and say, I've seen it. Nothing is impossible with our God. And whether you're a prophet or not, make sure you have a faith that declares that and believes that. Nothing is impossible with God. Just some of the things we might hear as Elisha gives his testimony. Great prophet, 
great member of the Prophets Club. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you put together a community for us, a community of believers. Thank you that you often call us. You all always move us some direction. There's always something you want us to do to serve you, to let people know there is a God, to love people no matter who they are, to help meet their needs. Thank you, Father, that with you nothing is impossible. And when you choose to, you can do anything, no matter how it looks. Help us to have faith, to believe that. Father, thank you for the example of Elisha. Thank you for how you used him in so many lives. Father, help us to sort out things from his life that we can use in ours as we continue our walk with you. Because you are the only God. There is no other. 